Live from the Annex Wealth Management Studios at Historic Radio City, this is the Jeff Wagner Show. What's Wagner's rule of life number four? Nothing good happens outside a strip club at 2 o'clock in the morning. I'm sorry, I understand I might be like a dog with a bone on this, but this is just fundamentally wrong. It is an insult, but let's tee this up. The Accurate Mortgage Talk and Text Line is open now. Give Jeff a call at 414-799-1620. I'm sorry, I think this is absolutely ridiculous. And now, WTMJ's Jeff Wagner. Except on this day, Scott Warris in for Jeff. He's off today. He'll be back again tomorrow. He is Eric Bilstead. We have you until 2.55 today. That's when we will send it to Phoenix, Arizona for Brewers Cactus League Baseball. Do you realize what happens two weeks from today? Opening day, baby. Yeah, can you believe it? Opening day. I feel like we say that every year, but yes, two weeks from today is opening day. And we will be there, of course, as we have been for many, many years and many, many seasons. Feels like it a little bit. It's 50 degrees here. I know it's warmer to the west. It's going to get cold again tomorrow, right? 30s or so. That's yeah. what we hear. But. Yeah, yeah. Okay, so uh, got a lot to get to. There's an interesting angle on the academic scandal that is rocking the country. I bet people are, are probably happy to see this happen, people who, are, you know, who aren't rich who aren't millionaires. I bet there's a certain amount of... They're getting theirs. Mm-hmm. Yeah. And I can understand that. But this whole scandal has raised the larger question. What do you do, or how, how far do you go as a parent to get your son or daughter into that school? Or we don't necessarily have to look at a collegiate university level. You can bring it down and say, what do you as a parent do to get your kid into that elite preschool that elite kindergarten school and then there are some you know or that elite sports team or the sports team how do i get them to make that yeah i mean that amazing robotics team anything goes do you grease the skids a little bit some people and it, do. It, it, you can do that by ways other than handing them a bag of cash or writing them a check <laughs> and just kind of slipping it in an envelope so we'll, we'll get to that it's pie day how are you celebrating? It's, everyone talks about Pi Day like it's a real thing. No one celebrates Pi Day. I've got the list of restaurants and okay. establishments. All right. Here and on. let me just tell you, if I can go to Baker Square today and get $2 off a whole pie, I'll celebrate the day. There used to be one right down the street. I'll See, celebrate that is not the day. Anymore. But first, I just want to clear the air on something, I guess if that's the right term to use. And I was going to do this, and you and I talked about it before, I was going to do this even before this text came in, <laughs> because I wondered, do you think anybody really, I mean, I, I, I fill in, you know, in sporadically from time to time, and are people really, oh, Scott Warris said this. So uh, let's just uh, clear the air here. This was sent in at 12.02, so 10 minutes ago. From the 414, Scott, exclamation point. <laughs> I've been waiting for you to be on. Oh, so that we're starting well. That's good. Excited. And then they lower the boom. Great job on predicting there was no way the DNC convention would come to Milwaukee. <laughs> yes. Oh, I love that you got a text about it. Yep. You've got your finger on the pulse of things. Now, they add an LOL, so that kind of softens the blow a little bit. They did say, oh, well, oh, at least it. you made a prediction. Yeah, so I guess that, that's, that's a, maybe a backhanded compliment in some way. Better luck next time. 
Again, a text from the 414. Yes, indeed. That was last Thursday. Uh, we were in for Steve last Thursday. Spent an hour. <laughs> <laughs> Kyle, we were producing. Oh, Kyle. You, you should just like. I should have told you this ahead of time. You can like teed up all this audio and just me ranting and raving. This will never happen. <laughs> <laughs> Not enough hotel space. <laughs> anyway, I spent a full hour on a fifty thousand watt radio yeah. station outlining my reasons why I did not think we were going to but- get the DNC. Well, go ahead. I was just going to say some of those questions have yet to be answered. We asked yes. the governor today. Evers That's what I'm in, hanging my hat on. He, at this Evers point. was in studio today. We asked what took so long, and he said, "Oh, something about the hotels." But no, it, it, that doesn't make sense. That it would be the hotels that delayed this process well into March. But yes. yeah, you were I, wrong. I, I was just wrong. <laughs> I mean, what what more can I say? I was wrong. That said, I'm glad I was wrong. I will gladly. <laughs> so the two six two just said, "Can you make a prediction? The Brewers won't make the World <laughs> <Yeah>. Series. <laughs> They're going to be terrible this year." <laughs> no, look, I was Could dead wrong. Um, I, my biggest point of contention was the hotel space. That that now moving forward, now that we're getting it, that will be my biggest curiosity at sure. least to yeah, this yeah. point. How does Southeast Wisconsin, which Legs far behind Miami and Houston in terms of hotel room availability. How do we make up that disparity? Mm -hmm. And how far away will delegates and others who are going to descend on this city next summer, where do they stay? How far do they stay? Things like that. I'll be fascinated to hear that conversation. I do understand that the dorms may play a role. Maybe when you look at Marquette and or UWM. Now, what delegates? Ah, the California to... delegates in Sandberg Hall at UWM. <laughs> that would be my reaction. No but way. I, 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 I would um, much rather stay in Watertown an hour away than stay in a dorm. Then you're sharing bathrooms. Well, that's a part of the kumbaya of a convention. Uh. You know, <laughs> showering and everybody. I need a, <laughs> need a towel. Um, the other thing I will just say is my, my at the time I, I was just I felt the longer it played out and the the more often we were told we're the favorite I love without how you're being justifying your this now you're going through the same process well, no, you I'm, went just, through last I'm, week. I'm just yes so no I was wrong dead wrong yes didn't really have a source I was just going based on my gut and clearly the gut was wrong so yeah but it's going to be fun it's going to be exciting it's going to be amazing to see how this now plays out now that we are indeed getting it and it is a it is a good thing i was disappointed at ron johnson earlier when he was on senator ron johnson he was on with steve uh, scafidi and steve uh, i think i'm paraphrasing here asked him the question right out of the gate what is your reaction to milwaukee getting the dnc and immediately the political spin came out and then steve to his credit had to kind of ask the question a little bit more narrowly to the point of, well, isn't it good for the economy and for the city and for the state that it it come here? And eventually Senator Johnson came around and said yes. But that should be the first. In, I mean, even if you are a Republican, that should be the first thing you say. It is, it, it's good for the economy. It's good for the state. It's good for the city. It's good for those of us who live here. And it wouldn't be unprecedented for the GOP the, to then host a convention here, too. You know, if every, everything has to go perfectly. Mm-hmm. But, you know, Wisconsin's always going to be at play. Who knows? Maybe in another four, eight years it comes back. Mm-hmm. So 
All right, we've uh, cleared the air on that. Yeah, well done, by the way. <laughs> no, let's just wait for my next prediction. Uh, maybe it'll be Brewers-related, but uh, yeah. When it comes to big predictions, I'm all for one. You're listening to Jeff Wagner on WTMJ. Scott Warris, Eric Bilstad, in for Mr. Wagner today. Well, this is the story, certainly nationally, of the week. Maybe you could say the Boeing situation and the story there, the grounding of the flights is a rival story, but we'll say it 1 and 1A. One it is the story of the cheating scandal that has rocked um, several universities and colleges around the country from coast to coast. It has ensnarled a, a whole number of uh, celebrities and some people that uh, you don't know the names of, but they certainly have enough money to be celebrities. But it raises a larger question, and I know that uh, you know Jeff's been talking about it the last few days, but it, it raises a larger question, and it, it really is something that I, I, I'm not a parent. I know, uh, Eric, you are young children, but nevertheless, it, it raises the larger question of to what extent... Will parents go to help their son or daughter enter school, college, maybe elite high schools, preparatory schools, prep schools, sports teams, obviously, maybe other other elite groups. And obviously, this was illegal activity. You can't really say, well, how far is too far? This, was clearly, <laughs> this is too far. This is clearly too far. Too far. <laughs> And thus, it's it's a situation that I think, though, still deserves some discussion because there are things parents will do to grease the skids, to schmooze with the coach, with the teacher, with the principal. Volunteer to help out, pick up the balls after practice. That's right. You do a little bit of everything, whatever it takes so that the Billstad name is top of mind, or mm-hmm. at least there's a positive association. Oh, Eric Bilstead, he helps out at a lot of events. He's he's always uh, you know going the extra mile. Oh, now his son is trying out for the soccer team. You know what? He'd be good to have around he's because a pretty Eric, good striker. Because he's, <clears throat> yeah, he's a, pretty good striker. Is that a soccer term? I'm just, I'm just See, saying. I don't even know. Just saying. So, um. Pretty good. Here's, here's where I want to go with this at 414 799 1620. 414 799 1620. It's the Acunet Mortgage Talk and Text Line. And I want to know, and I think it's a good conversation to have with those of you who are parents. Have you, or are, to what extent would you go? And again, I realize you're not going to break the law. So I'm not saying, I'm not expecting anybody to call in and say, you know what, if I had to write a check or. Drop off a brief briefcase of cash outside somebody's house, but or you, hand it to a, a unmarked ways, vehicle. There are ways to do that, though, right? There are ways to donate to the cause, whether it's buying a ton of candy bars or something like that. I think there are ways mm-hmm. to grease the skids. I don't know if it always works, but I know I, we that are not do, illegal, right? Yes, right. Maybe questionably unethical, but even are they unethical? Well, it's the back door, according to Ringer, you know, the bad guy in this this Varsity Blues thing. He said that he would often talk to the parents about this, saying there's a front door, which is you get in 
the right way. You apply and you get accepted. There's the back door, which is, I think he used the term institutional advancement, which is basically when you're giving millions and millions and millions of dollars to the school. Yeah, okay, then you can come in that, you know, then you can, uh, you can be accepted. And then he used the side door. That's what he called it. And that's when you cheat. You pretend to be on the roster of an athletic team or you just fake your way through the SATs. See, I would disagree with his analogy. I would say that the cheating is the back door and that the writing a check, building a building, donating to a cause so that when my son or daughter is of age and can enter your university, eh, maybe a little preferential treatment happens. I would call that the side door. I would say what uh, Rick Singer was doing is the back door. But nevertheless, just curious, 414-799-1620 on the Akinen Mortgage Talk and Text Line, how far would you go to help out your son or daughter enter school or that team or whatever the entity and organization is? Or are you aware of others, maybe, who have done something that, while not illegal, you might consider unethical? And if it's not illegal, is it really worth poo-pooing? Um, I think that this goes on, as, as we have found out, this goes on a lot more frequently than people realize and to the point that it is illegal, I think it has completely blown a lot of people out of the water and surprised them. But really, should it? Some calls are uh, coming in as we speak. We've got an open line for you as well at 414-799-1620. Vivaldi's Four Seasons is one of the most recognizable classical works. And this weekend, the Milwaukee Symphony Orchestra will be performing the Four Seasons, featuring four MSO violin soloists, each taking turns as the leader for one of the seasons. Concert takes place at the Basilica of St. Josephat this weekend, and we've got a pair of tickets to give away today and again tomorrow. Stay tuned to the show for your chance to win a pair of tickets to a breathtaking space filled with the beautiful murals, moving, moving classical music in one of only a handful of recognized basilicas in the United States. We will do that before we get out of here, and we will do so at 2.55 today for Brewers Baseball. Jeff is off. I am Scott. He is Eric, and we're teeing up the larger question that I think a lot of parents Parents should be asking themselves, in wake of the college admissions scandal, how far will you go to help your son or daughter? How far have you gone to help your son and daughter maybe get into school, but maybe it's joining that sports team, maybe it's helping them get a good grade in a single class? Where do you draw the line, not so much from legal to illegal, because I don't anticipate a lot of people here to say that they've, uh, or admit to, um, participating in an illegal activity. But there's got to be some line where parents say, nope, Tommy, Susie, in this endeavor, you are on your own. 414-799-1620. Let's start with Dave in Waukesha. Good afternoon, Dave. You're on WTMJ. Hey, Scott. Um, I, with my kids, it's like I, I made them earn it. I said, I'm not going to help you out. I mean... Nobody, life's not, I mean, when you get further along in life, not everybody's going to be, you know, there to pull strings for you or whatever else. It's, it kind of goes back to the old adage, what do you appreciate more, something you earned or something something gave you, somebody gave you? I mean, it's really what it comes down to. And as for these parents that that do it, you know, in sports, it's half the time it's just living vicariously through their, you know, through their kids. Yes. And other ones, I think with the stars and stuff, I think that's just pure narcissism, personally. You know, it's just, they don't want... 
you know, they want to be able to brag that their kids are at Stanford or their kids are at, you know, Yale or whatever without having earned it. What does that accomplish? You're not doing your kid any favor. See, I wonder about that, Dave. That's an interesting point. I, I do think there is something with that vicarious thing. The, the the varsity blues the yes. the I don't want in your life you know that kind of thing but I especially in the sports world but it definitely translates to academia right. as well the Lachlan thing the Lori Lachlan thing I I mean they were that was a brand I mean they were basically marketing her she she was well, yeah. she had a million yeah. followers on YouTube she would pitch products I mean this was part of a business strategy almost to have her at USC I mean well yeah it's just there's so many of them you know like if I if I if I can go one day without hearing the term Kardashian, I'd, I'd be a happy camper. Yeah, but, no, I'm uh, with you on that one as well. Thanks for the call, Dave. Appreciate you don't see them it. taking their way into USC. <laughs> no. Well, I don't no, know. No, no, I can't make any <laughs> accusations here. But again, let's bring this down to a more localized level. Let's bring this right. down to a more realistic level for those of us who aren't multimillionaires or even a singular millionaire. How far do you go as parents to help your son or daughter? The texter, and I'll, 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 I'll give you this before we hit the news here. Uh, let's see. A texter from the 734 says, the farthest I'm going is building a volcano for my kid's science class. But could you not argue? <laughs> could you not argue that mom and dad, yep. when you end up doing that diorama of the solar system, right, for Susie, when you end up doing more of the work than she does, or dare I say, even construct it all yourself and then just wake her up yeah. and say it's done, it'll be on the kitchen table, <laughs> take it on the school bus you in the morning. Are you not doing a disservice to him or her? You may be helping. But again, let's bring this down to a more realistic level for those of us who don't have tens of millions to throw around at uh, companies to facilitate Kids admissions. 414 799 1620. It's the Acunet Mortgage Talk and Text Line. We have a few open lines for you, and we'll go back to you after the news at 1231. This is Jeff Wagner on WTMJ. Scott Warris in for Jeff. Okay, let's run through a couple of texts, and then I'm going to share a, just a, a little uh, story. I had a chance yesterday to talk with someone who had had several conversations with Rick Singer. Rick Singer is the mastermind behind this academic scandal. Fascinating conversation I had uh, with somebody yesterday, and it'll kind of bring you into the world in which he was operating. Okay, through 262, I understand the college scandal is a big issue, but we are a society, we as a society created this mess. It's now pay for a degree. I have taught at two different private universities and was basically told that you cannot fail a kid because they are paying so much in tuition. It's no longer about education. It's just about showing up at how, and how much money you have. It's disgusting. From the 262, my wife <laughs> surprised me when she said, so what that these people gave huge payments to colleges to get their kid in? They didn't give them to the colleges. Right. She said, if someone gave 75000 for example, or more than that, use the money towards grants for kids with good grades that need some help with funding. But they mm -hmm. gave it to a middleman. That was the problem. But he would, in and turn, then he, but then pay. He would, yeah, he would use that. And I know you're going to get into what he yeah, was doing. Yeah, but yeah. what a lot with what would happen with this, though, is that they, they created a fake charity. And then those who were cheating were then using it as a tax write-off. So they'd spend some money, use it as a fake charity. Then they'd write it off. 
So, so no, it's not. It's okay, well, illegal. It's fraud. Matt, Matt in Hartford says, what's new? The wealthy have been purchasing oh, yeah. college acceptance for 100 years. All it takes is a donation to the school. This is just another way of doing the same thing. So there is something to that. So you think of the Teddy Kennedys who went to Harvard, the George W. Bushes who went to Harvard. I mean... I don't think I'm going out on a limb to say that neither of those guys are economic scholars, but they both went to Harvard. Jared Kushner went to Harvard. I'm sorry, I think W went to Yale. Um, but yes, so they these yeah, guys aren't the, the brightest of the bright, yet because of their name and money, we're able to go to these schools. So he's right. That's been happening for a long time. And finally, Kim in Milwaukee, to my analogy about helping kids with homework, we're trying to bring this back down to yeah. a more realistic level for many of us. Kim reminding us that no one should be doing their kids' homework. Doing projects together is great for togetherness and helps the learning. How far have I gone, she asks. I filled out the FAFSA. That's the uh, federal form for federal financial aid um, for a student or, or a prospective student to go to college. I filled out the FAFSA, went to the college visits, and proofread the entrance essays. My children are independent. I'm trying to raise grown-ups. Good for you. They will be better for it in the long run. But again, I think in a more realistic level, you can ask yourself as parents, how much am I, okay, maybe I'm not writing a check, but by doing my kids' homework, by spearheading that art project or that science project, am I not helping them get a better grade? The better grade helps the GPA, and you can you know kind of see where I'm going with that. Have you ever done, uh, how, how far have you gone, and, and maybe they're not to the age yet, Oh no, they, but how, how far have you gone to helping uh, one of your kids with a project or a um, homework assignment? I, I would say, yeah, we've done that occasionally, but never making the whole volcano, if you will. Um, <laughs> no, we'll definitely help with things. That's a good analogy. I've <laughs> never done the whole volcano. I think I, I just worked on the lava portion. I, I am most guilty... I would say I'm most guilty with like Cub Scout uh, Pinewood Derby cars, that kind of thing, Ooh. when it's like basically <laughs> you do, doing the you whole thing. Uh. I do remember, yes, when, when I was in, uh, well, it was Pioneers, but Cub Scouts. Yeah. I remember doing the Pinewood Derby thing, but now, man, in my, defense, my dad kind of handled more of it than no I would. No eight-year-old can make those cars. I would put the decals on, and he'd be the one sawing, and then yeah. I'd have to go put the decals, maybe do the paint job or something. Something easy than the actual woodworking. I was very proud, of, though, of the Cub Scout group this year. They, uh, The Boy Scouts who picked the winning best-looking car picked one that was clearly done by a child. Because there's some really nice oh, painted cars. you better believe it. And I, I was proud that they picked one that clearly was done by a nine-year-old kid, which was cool. <laughs> Meanwhile, how do the fathers feel? What? <laughs> yeah. You picked that piece of garbage? But they won the fastest. Look at the so. paint job. <laughs> look, at, look at the hubcaps <laughs> I put on this one. How did I not win? So yesterday, I, I, this kind of came out of the blue. Um, a friend of mine who used to be a, a, a college basketball coach. We're going back and forth, just talking about random stuff. And I said, you know, boy, how, how about this academic scandal? I mean, side note, by the way, remember when remember when college scandals were just based on, you know, a, a coach texting a player illegally mm -hmm. or mm -hmm. other things? We've kind of devolved now to, to a lot worse, by the way. And that, that's a another story for another day or another topic for another day. And they said to me, I real they're speaking here. I realized that I had a few conversations with Rick Singer when I was a head coach out east. I said, what? And they explained how he operated. 
and it it's a fascinating insight into the world as how he worked, but more so than that, how unwittingly, I think, a lot of people could be roped into what turned out to be illegal activity. More so, I think, in some respects from the school side than what we've been talking, the parental side or even the student side. There are reasons why this scam was able to go on as long as it did. I'll share that story, a little backstory here, pull the curtain back as to how Rick Singer operated from the inside. Next on WTMJ. It's a great day to- Jeff Wagner on WTMJ. Scott Warris, pinch hitting for Jeff Wagner. He'll be back tomorrow. Eric Bilstad is here as well. So, I'm going to pull the curtain back a little bit and uh, share with you how Rick Singer, who again, the mastermind behind this uh, scandal, how he operated, and this is pursuant to athletics. We obviously know he also did illegal activity in terms of paying off proctors for the ACT and the SAT, paying off uh, you know teachers, things like that, or those who were charged with administering the tests. There was academic fraud. There was fraud related to athletics as well, and that's where you hear about the Yale soccer coach, $400,000 getting fired, and, and a crew coach, and uh, other, look, he was a he was uh, an equal opportunity offender when it came to what his quote-unquote profit company or for-profit uh, entity was doing. Here's an example, and it, it kind of brings things maybe a little bit more to light, have a real-world example. In the Ivy League, there are no athletic scholarships. I don't know if you knew that. In the Ivy League, there are no scholarships given for any sports, okay, whether it's football, basketball, it doesn't matter. No athletic scholarships in the Ivy League. And yet, on the roster, for example, of a basketball team, you still have 15 spots. In, in, in every other conference, there are athletic scholarships, and usually you get 15 scholarships at any one season, at any one time. And how you choose to dole out the scholarships is at the, is at the uh, discretion of the coach. Well, in the Ivy League, there are no athletic scholarships. So what the Ivy League does is they have, the schools have agreed to a specific rating. Um, we'll call them the Smith rating, for example. It doesn't matter what the name is. And all the Ivy League schools say the Smith rating for our for each team, basketball, football, whatever, has to be, let's pick a number, 200. Just a nice round number. Smith rating has got to be 200. That is the standard for the Ivy League. Now, what goes into that rating? Each student or each student athlete, perspective or otherwise, has a number given to them. And that is determined by their high school GPA, their class rank, and other other statistical type of uh, determinants that bring Scott Warris to his Smith rating of, let's say I get a Smith rating of 175, of 175. Well, remember, the my, my team, the average has got to be 200. So if you have a bunch of Scott Warrises that are all below 200, your team's Smith rating will not be on par. It, it will not meet the goal of 200. So what do you have to do? You need students who are above 200 to balance out the Scott Warrises who do not have that rating. Follow me so far? Yes. Okay. So what Ivy League schools have to do is somehow to reach that goal, they will 
use what is termed a booster system, okay? Do not think of booster systems in terms of booster club or, or money or anything like that. Don't think. Think of a booster as I got to get my team to 200. I got two kids, Scott Warris and Eric Bilstad, who are both under 180. I need a couple of kids, but Eric and Scott are really good at basketball. I need a couple of kids to on the higher end to boost, boost. my rating, there you go. boost my Smith rating. Okay, so maybe uh, it's uh, Kyle and Jordan, and those guys they may not be as good basketball players as Scott and Eric, but they're really good in the classroom. They're, they've got a higher rating, so we're going to bring them on to our roster so that our Smith rating is evened out. Kyle's will be 225, Jordan's will be 225, and thus with Eric and Scott's 175, boom, we have a 200 average. So they may never see the court. They may never see the court. But, but again, they're on the team and they practice. They're on the, oh, they're on the team. They may see the court. I mean, who knows? Blowouts, who knows? They're, they're on the roster. They're on the roster. Yeah, okay. Now, right. you, can, you can argue whether or not, boy, is that ethical? Is, is, that, is that on the up and up? Hmm. I mean, you can kind of debate that. I, I don't think that there's any... Any, um, you know, uh, uh, any attempt by the coaches to maybe say, look, you're going to be on the team, but you're not going to play. I'll bet you some of those Kyles and Jordans understand the situation and go, I know why I'm here. So I would not put it, you know, completely blindly that they're being duped to coming. All right. But this is how the Ivy League works. And, and we hear a lot about the Ivy League in Rick Singer's scam. And this is why. Keep in mind, no athletic scholarships. And you need that to meet that rating. How can we boost it up? So what Rick Singer would do is he would call up he would call up our team, okay? He would call up and he would say, "Hey, I've got a kid out in Oregon. I got a kid in Oregon, let's say, and they really want to play basketball. I don't know how good they are, but they're definitely going to help out your Smith rating." Ooh, a booster, okay? A Great. booster. All right. Well, all of a sudden, our team here in the Ivy League is going to say, all right, that's interesting. Send us some film. Send us some tape. And he may do that. Just to see how good if, the player if, is. If, if it's a good, reputable coach of our team, that's all you would ask. Send me some tape. Mm -hmm. I can always use a booster. A lot of times the coaches, they're looking for the booster kid to help sure. out the overall yeah. roster, right? Yeah. Well, what Rick Singer would do is say, I've got a kid, and you know what? I'll also give you... I'll give you $50,000 to your program if you take this kid. Well, now, what the school is then charged with doing, or, or the team, what the team is then charged with doing is deciding, okay, first of all, does this make sense? Is this on the up and up? Does it kind of make the hair on the back of your neck stand up right. a little bit and say, hmm, this doesn't sound right? But if he's going to give $50,000 to my basketball program to take this player, this Kyle Pachinski from Oregon to take this player who may not be a good player, but at least he's got a high rating. Mm -hmm. yep. That'll help out my overall program, my overall organization. And that is exactly what was going on in the Ivy League. Okay. Now, what Rick Singer would also do is he would obviously, a, a, what's going on on the back end? So that's what's happening on the team side. Follow me here. On the back end, on the Rick Singer end, he's sitting there in his posh office in California, and parents are coming to him, and families are coming to him and saying, look, my son Kyle, he really wants to go to an Ivy League school. Um, 
how can you help him get in? And Rick Singer's going, you know what? I've got contacts at Ivy League schools. He wants to play basketball. Tell you what, I'll call up some of my people on the Ivy Coast there, and uh, they can perhaps bring him on because, again, there aren't athletic scholarships. So it's a little bit easier to grease the skids. In the end, what does it look like? It looks like a $50,000 donation to the program, which happens all the time, Mm -hmm. especially in those big schools. Oh, yeah. And that is exactly what Rick Singer was doing. Now, that is how the operation worked from the athletics perspective. Okay? Parents come to Rick Singer with money. Rick Singer takes some of that money and then funnels it to schools or specifically to coaches to try and get those kids on that team. And the, and the Ivy League in this example, in this case, in Yale, whatever, the Ivy League is looking for these type of kids because they need those boosters. boosters right. They need those kids who are good academically, Maybe not athletically, but they need the academics to boost up that rating for right. that program. Like in those cases, those kids actually could play basketball for the most part, right? It wasn't like the crew or these other... I mean, there there were times, and I don't know how many times this happened. I know it happened at USC for sure, where he would put someone on a water polo team that has never even swam in a pool. But here's the thing, <laughs> Eric. The you're right. You're right. I mean, there were examples where the kid actually could play and was interested in basketball, but they didn't have to. Right. right. Think of a I baseball yep. team. There are 40 men on a baseball team roster, and not all of them are on scholarship. I don't know if people watch college baseball and think everybody's on scholarship for a baseball roster. That's not the case. You get uh, 15, 20 scholarships. I don't know what the number is for baseball. So you could bring on a kid, mm-hmm. especially in the Ivy League again, who was not even a baseball athlete. You could bring him on a roster. A coach could bury him as number 38, 39, or 40 on the roster, never play him. He had no intent of playing. And yet, because of the money that was transferred from parent to singer, from singer to baseball coach, and now we're mixing baseball and basketball metaphors, but that is how that operation works. It was just a fascinating little um, curtain pullback, for lack of a better phrase, as to how it worked. And again, this is from the athletics perspective obviously there were elements in the academic world as well when it came to test taking and um other admissions related fraud that was committed it um gosh it's a real it's a real tangled web uh that rick singer was involved in and the deeper you dig not surprisingly the dirtier you get Live from the Annex Wealth Management Studios at Historic Radio City, this is the Jeff Wagner Show. And now, WTMJ's Jeff Wagner. Jeff is off today. I am Scott Warris. He is Eric Bilstad. We're with you till 2.55. That's when it's baseball, which again, I said it last hour, two weeks from today. Two weeks from today. It'll be first pitch at Miller Park. Today would have been a nice day for it. Nice balmy temps. Windy, rainy. Windy, Windy and rainy, yeah. yeah. Did you know, I've never told you this, you guys. I find wind to be the most annoying of all weather elements. Snow, sleet, rain. Why? Sunshine. <laughs> <laughs> Any possible of all of all the weather elements, I just find wind to be the most annoying. That's the best word to, I can use to describe. And I, I remember it was one, during one of those really windy days, um, maybe around the when we went through the Arctic blast or the polar vortex, whatever. It just 
in a cold winter's day, the wind will cut through you. Mm-hmm. Yeah, yeah. On a warm day, it can just be annoying if you're outside. Maybe you're Blows playing your potato sport. chips, your picnic. Yes, your picnic gets blown away. Your, your paper plates. Yes, if you're you know baseball, if you're on a baseball diamond, what happens? Well, Kyle, you're shaking your head. What? You're not annoyed by wind? <laughs> not to not together, but separately. Someday, my friend. Someday you'll what? have a family. You've never. And you will attend picnics. It will happen. You and your Trust significant me. other have never gone on a nice romantic picnic. On a hill overlooking Lake Michigan. So, oh, ooh, farmer's market action. Okay. <laughs> <laughs> that, that, you could argue, is like a picnic. I know, but I just, it, but anyway, it's wind. Just think about it. Today and beyond, wind is the most annoying of all weather. It is. Even I'll, more so than snow. I'll I take think. tornadoes. But what is a tornado? It is oh, wind. On. A tornado Stop is it. no, but a tornado is wind in its most fierce state, <laughs> and thus annoying. That's beyond. No, I'm just you're really selling this. On me. I just I, I was reminded of it. Today. You know what else I was reminded? <laughs> you know what else I was reminded of today as I drove in this morning on 43, just north of the Marquette Interchange, um, somewhere between. The Marquette Interchange and North Avenue. So just in that little stretch there. One of the most annoying stretches of Milwaukee's What is your most annoying (laughs) stretch of road? 799. (laughs) There was, and I can't even say it was roadkill. It was, but I can't even use it. There was meat. There was raw meat on the, I mean, usually, I should say usually, but oftentimes... You can tell what the You can is. tell what it was. Oh, there was a raccoon, and you can tell it's hit, and maybe it's a little bloody, but yeah. it's a... Oh, there's a deer. A squirrel, even. I'm telling you, I have no idea what this was, but it happened relatively recently, because birds or another, you know, critters hadn't gotten to it yet. And more so than that... It was just meat. It was red meat, and it was strewn for about a couple hundred yards. So Me- meat and blood. What's your meat point? Meat and blood you everywhere. You said that it wasn't cleaned up. Is this, that- um, no, because it seemed like it was so fresh. <laughs> I got out of my car and I, I, how fresh? No, I stopped. What are you doing? But it reminded me because I saw this headline yesterday, so I went back and I'm like, well, let's. Where would you come down on this? Freeway to table could be the next big food trend. And not shockingly, it's starting in California. But anyway, I saw this raw meat on the road, and I thought, this reminds me. Would you eat roadkill? Would you eat roadkill? February last year, Jessica Mundal came across a dead buck while driving. The animal had just been hit and killed by a semi and was still, quote, super fresh. And what does that mean? It's still twitching? It's still kicking? It's still saying, oh, it got me. She and her husband, both hunters, processed the deer on the side of the road, taking three legs home in the bed of their truck. The fourth leg was shattered from the impact. After that, we were hooked. She's 26, works for the state's fish and game department in Boise, Idaho. We ended up getting our freezer filled of roadkill. In Idaho, Mundell and others looking to salvage roadkill are free to do so as long as they report their haul within 24 hours via an online form by phone or in person. 
The state's Department of Fish and Game simply asks for the roadkill species, sex, location, and date of salvage. The law went into effect in 2012, and it seems other states are following suit. Over 20 states allow roadkill salvage. Since July 2016, Washington has allowed the salvage of elk and deer. Pennsylvania allowed the practice in 2017. In January 2019, so just a couple of months ago, Oregon launched their own salvage program. Now, a new California bill proposes to do the same. And it got me thinking, would I, and I'll ask you, and I'll ask you as well at 414-799-1620, would you eat roadkill? Or is there something about how you come across the animal that is such a mental hurdle, such a psychological stumbling block that it would prohibit you from consuming it with fork and knife? I think I would have to be the one that hit it. I wouldn't stumble across some and be like, oh, okay, I'll, I'll grab that deer carcass and you know, rock some venison. I can't do that. I wouldn't know how long it was there, if maggots, or if it was sitting in the sun. You know? But if, if you were the one who hit the deer, mm-hmm. and you call the cops and they take care of whatever they have to take care of, why not consider grabbing it and bringing it to the local place and having them make some sausage for you? Would you do this? Because I... I don't know that I could get over it, and I think it's just a mental, it's on the side of a road. Even if you hit it? Even if you know that it was just jumping a minute earlier? It'd be different if you drove past it and it looked like it had been baking there for a little while. You had to get the crows out of there. I mean, that's different. Hmm. It's been there, you know? This is maybe not the most important thing that is going to be in the news cycle this week, but, but I find I, it, I find it kind of interesting. But don't hunt, like I've heard of people who will collect carcasses just because they... They want the trophy of it, right? I, I mean, I've heard of that occasionally where a deer might get hit and it has a decent rack on it and, and someone will grab that. I mean, I think that happens. Mm-hmm. Would you, maybe, have you <laughs> taken roadkill home, grilled it up, no. fried it up, put it in your freezer and enjoyed it? I guess I, after. we should also point out I would do it with deer, not a raccoon, not a squirrel. So it depends on the speed. Yeah, of course. It depends on whether or not. I'm going to eat squirrels. So if someone prepares it nicely for squirrel- me. I think squirrel is edible. Squirrel? I, well, everything is edible. You could eat any All right, animal. Yes, everything is edible. Fine. But squirrel is not exactly it's a, an unknown edible Yeah, I don't need squirrel. I, I, I would eat deer. I'd eat venison. I just want to know if there are people out there who would do this. 414-799-1. And if you did, what was the story? Did you kill it? Did somebody else kill it? How long was it sitting there? Did you have to scrape off the maggots before you took it home? These are the things that I need to know at 414-799-1620. Jeff Wagner on WTMJ. At one twenty. Scott and Eric in for Jeff. So I just I, I came across uh, raw meat, as I called it, uh, just north of the Marquette on I forty three this morning, and it reminded me that um, California is really pushing now the freeway to table trend. And of course, if we've, if we've learned anything, freeway to table just sounds uh, funny. Well, farm to table, freeway yeah, to table. It, I get it. Uh, you know, a lot of these trends. They work their way west to east. Mm-hmm. What may at one point in time seem crazy, wacky, those wacky Californians, eh, those trends, give it time, and over a generation, it, they kind of sweep their way across the country. Now, somebody did text in and say, in Wisconsin, you can do this. It's a little bit more complicated. Um, I can read the, uh, the, um, the code here. 
in Wisconsin, vehicle killed, game, and possession. Then we'll come to the phones at 414-799-1620. A person who accidentally kills a wild turkey, deer, or bear while operating a motor vehicle on a highway can take possession of the carcass and remove it from the scene of the accident if the carcass is first registered over the phone by DNR staff. So you need to call the DNR and say you hit a turkey. And then you can take it with. If the operator of the vehicle that killed the animal does not want the carcass, so you hit something but you mm-hmm. don't want it, mm-hmm. any other person can request a free tag for the carcass. Uh, you can contact the DNR, the, contact the Wisconsin DNR car killed registration line. How much does that cost, by the way, mm-hmm. to oh, register? Geez. That'll be 50 out. bucks. <laughs> now, a person who accidentally kills small game while operating a motor vehicle on a highway, can take possession of the carcass without the need to obtain a tag, only if the animal is not a fish, a fish, otter, a, f- a fisher. <laughs> What's a fisher? Fisher person. The animal, no, can only tag, no, a person who accidentally kills small game animals, I'm going to sound like an idiot here, because I don't know what this is, while operating a motor vehicle on a highway, can take possession of the carcass, Without the need to obtain a tag, only if, stipulation number one, the animal is not a fisher, otter, bobcat, wolf, migratory bird, or a protected, protected endangered, or threat. What is a fisher? It's a typo. That's what it is. The animal's not a fish? <laughs> I hit a fish! <laughs> what do I do? Kyle says it's a bird. It's a bird? It's a bird. Okay. Well, then why isn't it just included in the migratory? Okay, a fisher. Who, no one is calling the DNR. If someone's hitting no, a deer, no, they're no, taking the no, deer. No, you're hauling it, you're putting it in your trunk, and you go. All right. Fisher, by the way, is a rodent. Oh, thank you. I, I, I thought it was a typo, and they meant fish, in which case it's... <laughs> All right. To the phones here. Have you done this? Would you do this? I could not get over the mental hurdle of uh, eating something I just hit with my Buick. If I drove a Buick, Danny in West Dallas, you're up first. Hey, Danny. Hey, how you guys doing? Good. What uh, you've done this? This has happened to you. What? Yeah, matter of fact, uh, two years ago, uh, late at night, I got done playing with my band and hit a deer on Highway 32. And first time I'd ever done that, you know. So I'm like, oh god, what happened? Looked like the deer had a heart attack. Not a, not a mark on him. And so I figured, okay, now. Well, maybe what? you scared so it into having a heart attack before you actually made contact. Yeah, yeah, I was just like, well, who knows? So so I called the cops because I had no idea what to do. They came, looked at it, said, okay, it's the first day of deer season. If you want to keep it, you can. And I figured, well, why the heck not? They're not a mark on them. So we basically made sure it was dead right. and then strapped it into my front seat. Because there wasn't any room in the back. In the front <laughs> seat. Wait a minute. Wait a, you put it in the front seat? Did it look at you? Well, there wasn't any room in the back. So <laughs> Did you use you use the seatbelt, right? Well, that's why I made sure that it was dead because I didn't want it to pull a Tommy boy on me. <laughs> Are you lying? Is this true? Are you so just we sat in there with the seatbelts and no, Danny. Now, come on, Danny. Are you pulling our leg? You actually no, put no, this thing 100% in the front serious. seat. How did you and, make sure it was dead? Well, you know, kicking a couple of times, you know, grab it by the handler, shake it around, you know. <laughs> And the best part is, Danny, you were able to use the carpool lane after. <laughs> well, actually, it made for some pretty interesting looks at a couple of intersections. You know, people would do a double and yeah, double take. I would say so. Okay, Danny. How, how did it taste? Otherwise, it was fantastic. I ended up with a, a freezer full of meat, and there was nothing wrong with it whatsoever. Now, oh. if I saw something laying out, mm-hmm. just, you know, on the road, 
as long as it wasn't covered with flies and so on, I think I would probably do it. Yeah, see that? Uh, I have a tough time with that. Thanks for the call, Danny. That is a great story. I like the fact that you put it in the front. Why didn't you put it in the Well, there was no room in the back. I guess that <laughs> is, is that not the obvious answer? Why didn't you put it in the back seat? Because there was no room in the back seat. This is Jeff Wagner on WGMJ. Not today. Jeff is off. And we are discussing... Some of the biggest news stories of the week. No, not right now, but uh, just got the talking and thinking about um, roadkill and laws that allow roadkill to be consumed. And uh, phone lines are lighting up, 414-799-1620. I could not do it. I would not do it. Even if I hit a deer or whatever the animal was, even if I did it myself, I could not get over the mental hurdle of consuming something that I had just plowed into with my car. Let's go to Menominee Falls. Let's talk to Debbie. Debbie, uh, would you venture a meal out of roadkill? No. Okay. No, but I'm not a big game eater. You Fair know, enough. Deer or anything like that. What about a fisher? Uh, no. Did you know what a fisher was? No. Okay, good. Okay, go ahead. What but you got? <laughs> actually, my son, a couple years ago, it was in winter, hit a deer. And he called the police because he didn't know what to do. And the police came out and they asked him if he wanted to keep it. And they, because they have tags, hmm. they said they had a tag in the car. He wanted it. So, but he didn't want it. He didn't want it. Nope. So then they just had to deal with it and clean it up or whatever the case may be. Or they just left it or whatever. Or they left it. All right. In Waukesha County, you see a lot of them just there. <laughs> yeah, I do. Thank, thanks for the call, Debbie. I appreciate thanks. it. 414-799-1620. You know, I'll bet that the sheriff's department, the local law enforcement who gets the call, I'm willing to bet that they're rooting for the person who hit the animal to take yeah, it. Yeah, they don't want to deal with that thing. No. You, you, made a, you, you made a great point during the break. Oftentimes, if that animal isn't dead yet, then it's on the local law enforcement to shoot yes, and kill and then kill haul it. it away. Yes. They, they don't want to deal with it. They get a late-night call at 1145 at night, and suddenly they got to deal with this giant, bloody, maimed, half-still-alive deer. Unless they get to take it home, unless the driver is too distraught. Oh, I just need to get home. And they say, okay, we'll throw it in the back of the squad. <laughs> in the back of the squad. Yeah, put it behind the the uh, the, the mesh yeah, divider between the front yeah. and the back. Yes, thank you to everybody on the text line who has weighed in telling me and telling us what a fisher is. Some type of weasel. It's related thing. to but bigger than the North American weasel. Um, a lot of you telling me what a fisher is. I had never heard of that. I mean, a creature until now. Uh, we'll keep this rolling just a couple of moments longer because there's a couple of good anecdotes here. Paula, Cody, Jonathan, Dave, we'll get to you uh, after the news here with Eric on WTMJ. Welcome back to Jeff Wagner on WTMJ. Jeff is off with Eric. I'm Scott. We're with you for uh, a little over an hour from now. We'll have Brewers baseball. Two, day, uh, two weeks from today is opening day. Keep that in perspective. Just want to get in a couple more calls here. Then we will move on from this very pragmatic yet macabre topic. Uh, <laughs> let's go to Cody in uh, Racine. Hey, Cody, you're up next on WTMJ. Hey, guys. How you doing? Thanks for taking my call. Thanks for making it. All right. So, you know, I have actually multiple experiences with this. Uh, 
with again, and if, hang, on, hang on one second, just to catch everybody up. We're talking about if you would ever eat roadkill because it is uh, it is a trend. They call it freeway to table dining. Okay. Yes, yes, freeway to table. Uh, I was on my way uh, bow hunting one morning, and I came across a deer that had just been hit by a, a vehicle that was a little bit ahead of me. And I actually was able to, um, I had to shoot it with my bow and arrow. Uh, but when I called the DNR, they gave me the deer. And uh, it was it was great. I, I wouldn't recommend possum or raccoon, though, guys. <laughs> Why not? Uh, no, gross. That's just, that's gross. That's too much. You know, I would stick to deer. Any other animal, I don't know that I'd be too interested. But in. why? Uh, I don't know. I, you know, I'm a deer hunter, so right. if it's deer, I guess I'm okay with it. Anything else, I don't know. Maybe that's a little, a little too much. Two questions for you. One, had you not seen the deer get hit, would you still have stopped and picked it up? Um, well, it was still alive when I saw right. it, so yeah, yeah. I, I didn't want to go into the woods hunting and leave that, uh, that one to suffer. Right, but I mean, had you driven up and seen a carcass? Um, yeah. You would have taken it. Hmm. How long yeah. would it have to be there for you to say, you know what, I'm going to leave that there? Uh, I'd give it around a few hours, you know. I mean, if it's really messed up, some of the organs can mess yeah. the meat up. Well, so did you field dress it then there on the side of the road? Uh, yeah, actually I did. That's a mess, too, by the way. Speaking of meat, Scott. So uh, my fun. last question, though, Cody. So when you said you called the DNR, did you have to pay for the deer? No, I didn't. I didn't, actually, and that's why I called in. I heard you guys mention that. Hmm. I'm glad to hear that. I was worried that, oh, well, yeah, it's a $25 fee to take this off okay. the run. Thanks for the call, Cody. Appreciate you sharing that. Okay, we, we've heard from a lot of deer people. Now, like Cody said, he wouldn't do it if it was a possum or, or a raccoon a, or a raccoon or a, yeah a fisher what about a squirrel because people eat squirrel who eats what? squirrel i i you don't think people eat squirrel there was i, I saw several andrew zimmern episodes of bizarre foods where people are eating okay. people eat squirrel maybe just like not around a, here like oh well i don't know if it's a squirrel? i don't know if a squirrel okay maybe not here in southeast wisconsin but i'm willing to bet that squirrel is 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 on the menu at some place? And I know what is. What about rabbit? Okay, I gotta I gotta get the story behind uh, this one. Paula in Bayview. Paula, uh, tell us about your um, little run-in with a rodent. Well, I grew up on a farm, and we hunted rabbit, squirrel, and we would bring them in and flour them with cornmeal and flour, salt and pepper, and hmm. make a white country gravy with them. There you go. Okay, and the rabbit um, ran out in front of me, and I started crying, and I went out, and I was hoping I could save him, and I just hit his head. <laughs> okay. So you, the rest you, of him was okay. With your car, by the way? Yes. So you crushed the head of the rabbit Yes. with your car. You <laughs> run out crying. there. <laughs> but you've eaten a lot of rabbit beforehand. Yes. Okay. Hmm. What if you had found the dead rabbit without the head? No, definitely not. It had to be fresh. <laughs> but again, then what is fresh? Like five minutes? If you could have. Oh tell no! He, he, I got out right away. He was still twitching, you know, like moving. <laughs> he was still moving after you crushed his head with a car. It was, you know, like a nerve reflex. Yeah, oh, that I happens suppose. quite a bit, I think. I don't know. Yeah. <laughs> okay. <laughs> Thanks for the call, Paula. 
I appreciate it. Uh, uh, my mistake. A lot of people hunt and eat squirrel. Yeah, squirrel and ra- um, from the 262, squirrel and rabbit hunting are huge. They both taste excellent. Uh, the 262 says, uh, you belong in the Beverly Hillbillies. <laughs> <laughs> what, did you eat squirrel? 920 says, raccoons carry nasty parasites that you don't want. Yeah, I would imagine because of what raccoons, go, you know, dumpster where raccoons go and what raccoons eat. Let's squeeze in one more, and then I promise we'll, we will move on. Um, Dave uh, calling from Illinois. Dave, uh, you'll get the last word here on WTMJ. Yes, thank you for taking my call, Scott, long-time listener. Uh, I've had this happen. Uh, my buddy and I were in the woods, sitting around the campfire, and we heard the screeching of the tires. And we thought nothing of it. Well, then, about 10, 15 minutes later, we heard gunshots. And my buddy said, let's go check it out. My first instinct was, are you kidding me? I don't want to get shot. But then I realized what was going on. We got up there. Somebody had gone home, gotten their gun, come back, and put the young deer out of misery. It wasn't a fawn, but it was a young deer. And I took off one of my gloves and felt it. It was still warm. Hmm. So we dragged it back into our property. And at the time, it was legal in Illinois. I don't know if it still is to take it without calling it in. And uh, we field dressed it, hung it in the tree, and the next morning, three of us butchered it, shared the meat, and it was awesome. Forgive my ignorance, but hanging it in the tree, no worry of some other animal coming around and picking at it, doing anything with it? No, yeah. You have to just hang it high enough so the coyotes can't get it. Okay. This, This involves a pulley system, a block and tackle. You, you mentioned, obviously, this happened in Illinois, so I was looking yeah. at the list of all the different, all 50 states, and if they have the information available as to their rules. Listen to Illinois. Okay. It's, it is legal to pick up any roadkill, fur-bearing mammals that are in season if you have the proper hunting or trapping license and or habitat stamp as required for each species. This includes raccoons, opossum, striped skunk, Weasel, mink, muskrat, red fox, gray fox, coyote, badger, bobcat, beaver, and river otter. Wow. Who would eat some of those things? Well, you know what? A nice uh, nice bobcat lunch. That's what I'm a bobcat sandwich. <laughs> bobcat sandwich. Thanks for the call, Dave. Appreciate it. Uh, My favorite kind. Yeah. That, uh, again, I, more power to you if you can do it. If it's if it's less meat on the roadways, if it's less roadkill, if it's less work for law enforcement to have to spend time cleaning up, it, yeah, yeah, I, I, more power to you. I just could not get over the the mental hurdle of eating something even that my car plowed into and killed. Well, I let, just let me make that jump. Let me ask you this: Canada geese are everywhere. And there are some states I know that allow you to use that. I don't know about you and me, but they allow these to be hunted and then fed to, like, say, homeless shelters or given to food banks. Would you eat a Canada goose? You know what? You know what it comes down to for me is how it was killed. I think that I'm just doing some some introspection. <laughs> if right it were now. strangled, that's different than if it were shot. No, I'm saying if, if I it was hit, hit it with... by a golf ball, is that different than if it why. gets hit by why a car? Why is that? I'm just thinking out loud here now as I as I try to understand why I would not eat roadkill hit by a I think the fear of like the rubber taste of the maybe, tire or the iron there. of the bumper <laughs> a little a little metallic <laughs> taste I just I, I I couldn't do it and I think it comes down to how it died I think there's something to the so you'd rather not know I I'd rather not know 
Just give me my plate of venison. Man, there are a lot of peanut documentaries you should never watch. Give me my plate of, uh, in Illinois, give me, give me my plate of striped skunk. Give me the salt and pepper. Just don't tell me what happened to get it there. Back for more, here's WTMJ's Jeff Wagner. Scott Warris, Eric Bilstad in for Jeff. He is back tomorrow. Do not fret. Thanks for those of you who chimed in on the conversation about eating roadkill. Went a little deeper than I was anticipating, especially when I was driving in this morning, seeing some of the carnage on I-43. But more power to you. Uh, Real quickly here, Major League Baseball has announced some changes that are going to go into effect this year and then again next season in 2020. Among those, the Home Run Derby winner gets a million dollars. Wow. This is done, I believe, in an attempt to draw bigger names to the Home Run Derby contest. Uh, You've heard similar... Bryce Harper wasn't big enough last year? I just, I don't think there's enough of them. Um, I think Bryce Harper had to be convinced, primarily because the Home Run Derby was in his home ballpark in Washington. Now Mm -hmm. he's a Philadelphia Philly. So I think... You know, there's something to be said for why he participated in that. But nevertheless, this will help sweeten the pot. And maybe, maybe. Um, Other things that are going to take effect in 2019. Changes include two-minute breaks instead of two minutes and five seconds for locally televised games and 225 in nationally televised games. So there's five seconds that also, by the way, can impact broadcasts, too, on the games. How many spots and commercials you can squeeze in there? True, true. Have we told our people here? <laughs> do, we, do we know we got fewer commercial ones? Only five mound visits without changing pitchers instead of six. Do you recall that being an issue last year? I really don't. In fact, oh, man, I should, I'm talking out of turn here. I did notice less of them. But I don't remember one there game. There were less, but right. I think I think there was one game. I remember. Council was like, "Oh, he's already been up there." I don't even know that it was a Brewers game. I think it was another game, a national game. But I can only count on one hand and still have a finger or two left. The number of times where a manager actually exhausted all, all of, of his trips to the mound before the game was over, or used his last one in the ninth inning. No more trade waivers. You realize what that means? The trade deadline will be July 31st, and that is the trade deadline. Now, why would they get rid of the the, the waiver one? That's the one that ends in August, right? Like right. it's the August 31st. There was always, okay, you had July 31st, but then you had another August 30, it was August 31st, right? Yeah, August That's 31st. That's last year. Right. A, a player had to clear waivers to yeah. then be traded. No more. There'll be one trade deadline. Now, why would they do that? What's the? I wonder what the motivation is there. I mean, I think maybe it's... Just to kind of finalize rosters earlier, I don't know. I'd have to think that one all the way through. But anyway, there's one deadline. It's July 31st, period, end of sentence, end of story. And this one I kind of like. We learned about this uh, last week. A two-round all-star fan vote with an actual election day still to be determined in June or July to decide the starters. So do you understand what they're going to do with the election of Major League Baseball All-Star? We'll still have the... I don't know if you... Do they still have paper ballots that you punch at the stadium? Maybe, maybe not. But you can still vote online. Then what they're going to do at a certain point is they'll end the voting. 
they'll take the top three from each position, and then from the top three, they will have an election day where you then vote for the starters. Uh, Beginning next year, 2020, active rosters being 26 players from opening day through August 31st, 28 players September 1st until the postseason. So you won't have a dugout necessarily full of players. Like 100 guys in Yeah, it was always very odd that baseball, the only sport where you play the last month of the year, oftentimes the most impactful month of the year, with a dozen more guys. I mean, it it was just... You'd like do a lot more pinch running. There's a lot more of just throwing guys out there. That's why games would get so long, because you have more pitching changes, you've got more uh, pinch hitters, because all of a sudden the roster expands for the most important month. I'm trying to think, of all of... The changes they've made over the years. I, I did notice how quickly the games would come back into play. When you'd be at a game at Miller Park, and you know, because they have the clock going between. How they do. That, I, I noticed that, and I noticed the number of times a manager would walk out there. But I don't know if I dramatically noticed a difference in the time. I don't recall feeling like I... The, the, game, the overall yeah, game time. that my time no. had been saved. Look, I mean, usually you go in, when you're watching a game, you're invested. In, you, you know that the next few hours are going to be... Spent watching that game. For all the talk of shortening game times, whatever has been shortened during the Rob Manfred era is marginal. They have yet to really find the magic formula to truly shorten a baseball game. And then you can debate whether or not you even want it shortened in the first spot. Um, Anyway, it's an interesting list. And if you want to see the full list of rule changes to Major League Baseball this year and what is going to happen next year in 2020, uh, we've set up the story on the talk and text line, uh, the text line primarily. If you text MLB, the letters MLB, to 414-799-1620, we will send you back the link to the story so you know what is legal and illegal when it comes to Major League Baseball this season. Live from the Annex Wealth Management Studios at Historic Radio City, this is the Jeff Wagner Show. And now, here's WTMJ's Jeff Wagner. Scott Warris sitting in for Jeff, along with Eric Bilstad and uh, Kyle, as always, producing the big program. So the 12 Republicans, as we uh, were talking about there, the 12 Republicans who voted um, against the president's use of uh, a declaration, if you will, of a national emergency to use those funds for the wall. Again, uh, the Senate voted to block the emergency declaration 59-41, 47 Democrats, all the Democrats, 12 Republicans. So 12 of the 53 Republicans voting uh, to... Um, Twelve of the what am I trying to say here? Twelve of the join uh, the Democrats. Fifty-three join the Democrats. Uh, Lamar Alexander of Tennessee, Roy Blunt of Missouri, Susan Collins of Maine. Have you ever, by the way, <laughs> have you ever heard Susan Collins ever referred to other than Susan's Col- Susan Collins of Maine? It's just honestly, every time you hear her name, it's always Susan Collins of Maine. Like Collins of Maine is her oh, last yeah. name. Yeah. Uh, Mike Lee of Utah. Jerry Moran of Kansas, Lisa Murkowski, Alaska, Rand Paul of Kentucky, Rob Portman, Ohio, Mitt Romney, Utah, Marco Rubio, Florida, Patrick Toomey, Pennsylvania, Roger Wicker, Mississippi. They are the 12 who sided with the Democrats in this. And now 
another step in the process, and uh, we'll see um, when, I don't think it's so much if, but when the president puts pen to paper and issues his first veto as president. I'm curious if he puts together a hit list on this. He's not going to forget those 12 Republicans. He's going to remind Mitt Romney about this at some point. Marco Rubio at some point? Mm -hmm. Oh, yeah. By the way, uh, we've also now have another entry into the presidential race for the Democrats. Beto O'Rourke announcing that late last night, early this morning, that he is in. You said something interesting earlier. You you just you didn't feel like Beto fever is quite at the pitch. It was when he was running against Ted Cruz in Texas for that open Senate seat, or or, or for to challenge, I should say, Cruz's Senate seat. Um, Back in the fall, you know, I, I think the time is now for him because you got to strike when the iron's hot, right? I mean, and he had a hot run there. He was the hot candidate during but the midterm. Question whether or not, but I wonder now hot. whether his pot, you know, is it is the iron still hot? I mean, it's been so long. I, I just I think some of the buzz has started to die down on Beto. Now, who you know, anything's possible. We're so far away mm-hmm. from anything. Um, you know, ask me in a year and a half, <laughs> I'll tell you. What, you know, who so, is the hot candidate then? This would be the equivalent to March of 2015, right, in terms of the election cycle. So let's go back to March of 2015. Who was... Who were the hot picks in March of 2015? I mean, well, Rubio is on that list. Obviously, we're talking more the GOP because the Democrats yeah. had Hillary out in front and for Bernie. most of the race, and yeah. Bernie Sanders was he was just kind of getting the momentum going at this point. But Walker was out by then. Wasn't right? wa- uh, yes, Walker dropped out in May of of right? 15. Yeah, hmm. he didn't. I mean, he didn't drop out in 16. Okay. Oh, you're right. He was okay. out. I mean, he was one of the he first was, ones yeah, out. He was out early, so okay. He was an early front runner. He was well, the early like, front runner. Like, wasn't Lindsey Graham running also? I mean, everybody was Everybody running. was running, but you're right. But you, Newt Gingrich, <laughs> wasn't he being talked about? My point was that Scott Walker was um, a, a favorite at this point, last time around, for the Republicans. You wonder if uh, Paul Ryan ever looks back at that and goes, hmm, 2016. No. I mean, I, I think if, if there's any lessons to be, not lessons, but if there's anything to draw from that, there was no stopping the Trump train. No, I, oh, sure. Even if you were Paul Ryan, even if you were anybody, that, that, was, that, was, uh, that was something that was uh, meant to happen. It was going to happen regardless. I don't think anybody could have stopped that. Rook, I just want to make this comment. I saw this yesterday, and it, it's, it's a cold slap-in-the-face reminder of schools that deal with tragedy, and specifically shootings, mass shootings. Schools, look, but communities, really. Organizations, cities, the people that are directly affected by this, long after the spotlight of the news media, of the news cycle leaves, long after they still live with it on a day-to-day basis. What, What kind of brought this home again for me was news that the head football coach at Marjorie Stoneman Douglas High School, he's resigning. Obviously, it's been a little over a year now since the shooting at the school that left 17 people dead. And as uh, this is actually from ESPN, as they report, the tragedy has never left Willis May, Coach May, the head football coach at Marjorie Stoneman Douglas. He lost an assistant coach, Aaron Feiss and Chris Hickson, the athletic director and wrestling coach, in the shooting. He says, I walk into my office every day, and Aaron Feist's office is right next to me. Chris Hickson's office is 
right next to me. And I miss those guys with all my heart every day. It is sad going to work every day because it hurts so bad to be without them. It's been a year, and it has not gotten any better, so I need a change for me. I need it for my health. You might remember Feiss was um, the one who shielded students and ultimately died during the attack in Parkland. May and his other assistant coaches left Feiss' desk and office the exact way he left it before his death. Seeing the reminder of Feiss, the cemetery built on campus with a 12-foot fence around it and daily reminders of what took place on that horrific day have weighed May down to the point where he has decided he needs to walk away. He says, look, we've had a lot of friends and a lot of support in the Parkland community, but I just need a change. I love football, and I want, to, I want it to be fun. I want to go to work every day and be excited. And right now, even though it's over a year later, I go to work every day, and it is miserable. Explaining the decision to his team was no easy task and one that tore at his heart. After driving home to his players that they should never quit, he was worried the teens would think he was quitting on them. They know, he said, they feel sorry for me, and they know how much I miss Coach Feist and Coach Hickson, that I'm in that office all day by myself. They understand. They've been family for me, but I need this for my heart. And again, not only does it remind us, and it should remind us, that long after the news stops covering these tragedies, this lingers with people forever. And in this case, it lingers with the head football coach and has the head football coach at Marjorie Stoneman Douglas High School well over a year since the tragedy. And call it uh, you know PTSD, call it whatever you like, these are things that sadly will forever be with him. But it also then, I think Eric, opens one's mind to think, think about the, the classmates who watch the, you know, the, the, their classmates, gun, the, the teachers. And ultimately, I'd be curious to know how many students, faculty, staff at Marjorie Stoneman have left, have said, I just, I can't walk into that building anymore. And for that matter, other schools you go all the way back, you know, to uh, to uh, Boulder, Colorado, mm-hmm. and and kind of the one that got it all going, if if you would, over fifty, what twenty years later. How many staff, faculty, and in the short term, students have continued to go there? There is a new documentary coming out about Columbine, mm-hmm. actually talking to some of the survivors and how it still haunts them. Oh, I mean, it it's to. been decades since that one. Uh, and I think it's a it's just a sobering reminder that everyone has an opinion on everything and and everyone has, likes to talk down or be condescending or bark at each other or whatever. But man, there's there's some really dark, terrible moments that a lot of people had to experience, and they have to live with that forever. And they will. It's two eighteen. Scott and Eric in for Jeff on WTMJ. You're listening to Jeff Wagner on WTMJ. Again, a reminder that uh, we have a uh, severe thunderstorm warning. This is an Aaron's Storm Team alert. Severe thunderstorm warning for Jefferson County in effect until 2.45, so a little over uh, 25 minutes or so. we got a little string here from Kenosha that goes directly to the Wisconsin Dells at an angle there, and it's moving all the way across. Heaviest spot is right there in Jefferson County. 
So we'll be monitoring that, and hopefully it uh, dissipates and it does dissolve at uh, 245. Real quickly here, what is your favorite thing about the World Wide Web? My favorite thing? Yeah. Um, I like the nostalgia of it. I like that I can Google something after having a conversation about it with somebody about like an old toy or an old TV show or an old commercial or that guy who called about Tommy Boy. I could look up that scene right now and watch that scene from Tommy Boy where the deer's in the backseat. I like that I can do that at any time. I remember in 1983 when G.I. Joe had that crazy cartoon out. Well, hold on. Let's find that quick. There it is. (laughs) That's my favorite part. This week, the World Wide Web turned 30 years old. And uh, the website, TheVerge.com, The Verge, has put out a list of our favorite memories from A to Z over the last 30 years. But it was on this week, I think it was Tuesday or so, that Tim Berners-Lee, how many people know that name? But Tim Berners-Lee submitted a proposal with the dreary title Information Management to his superior at the European Physics Laboratory, CERN. It began by asking how future scientists would keep track of their increasingly large projects. This proposal provides an answer to such questions. The proposal described what, in just a couple years' time, would transform into the World Wide Web, a connected system for sharing information that would revolutionize how the entire planet communicated. 30 years. Mm-hmm. You'd feel like it'd be older, but if you actually think about it, you go, no, nah, that, that, that sounds about right. right. I wish I could see my first email. I remember when that started. For, I mean, going into college was the first year I, I ever got email. Me too. It was the first time that I actually had a professor who was an adjunct professor. So they only were on campus for our class, and they went yeah. back, and he was a publisher. And that's how we had to submit our um, our, homework, our homework assignments, our papers, our reports, sure, yeah. our whatever. It was an English class. And it was like email. I had to go to the library. Yeah. <laughs> I had to ask the librarian, how do I send an email? Now you type in the address here. What? What is? Yeah, I would love. You to remember see your my first, first email? Oh, it was like it was like a code. It was like epb 5 at drake.edu or something like that. Oh, I thought you meant your first actual oh, my email actual, no, message. I, no idea. I would love to see what it was. Probably, hi mom. I am at school now. <laughs> but did your mom have email? Well, good question. No, I know my dad did. I think he had like a work email, though. So that's how I would communicate using his work email. Hmm. It was um, at the time connected networks of computers had been up running and growing for a couple of decades. People had sent emails, shared files, ran message boards, and even created the first emoticons. But it wasn't until the World Wide Web came along that the Internet at large really began to take off. Web browsers, web pages, hyperlinks, all made info easy to find and move in between because the core code was open sourced, thus anyone could create a browser or anyone could create a website of their own. Remember how long those sites would take to open up? Well, that's because you had had, uh, dial-up. Yeah. Then if you were at home, if you were at home, you had to use dial-up. Mom, I'm going to be on the computer. You have to make any phone. <laughs> Nobody had cell phones then. You're going to tie up the phone line. So you never did AOL then? Because I remember some people had AOL a little bit earlier, mm-hmm. it seems like, than the rest. Of, like They were kind of the, they're the ones that started the whole thing. Tell you what, in, in two minutes, we'll just I'll rattle through a couple of them. As I say, The Verge puts together their favorite memories from A to Z of the World Wide Web turning 30 this week. Jeff Wagner on WTMJ. Celebrating 30 years of uh, the World Wide Web. How do you use it? What's your favorite part of the World Wide Web? Real quickly here, The Verge put together a, a list of A to Z of their favorite memories 
of the World Wide Web in 30 years. A. Amazon quickly became a major place to shop, and it's become... Remember, Amazon used to sell books, right? Books. What does it sell? It's everything. Never heard of it. Never. B, BuzzFeed. Oh, yeah. I'm not going to go through every single one here. E, eBay. You big eBay guy? I mean, people eBay make their livelihood off eBay. eBay. People Is make it still, still hot? Um, I think so. I, I'm it, still getting used, I know. Is it? Is it uh, uh, let's see. H, Hotmail. I have a Hotmail account. You still do? <laughs> I have a Yahoo account, and I get... I get oh, my uh, goodness. Really? Yahoo still exists? Oh, okay, Mr. Hotmail. <laughs> really? Yes. Well, you know what happened? I, if, Despite all the, the uh, data breaches with Yahoo, I haven't been breached. No good. So <laughs> I, go and, I, I feel, you know, as if it's a, it's a, a, a badge of honor. Uh, let's see. K, know your meme. The internet is a never-ending sprawl of extremely good memes, constantly multi- uh, mutating, remixing, changing. Uh, let's see. Remember when blog was a thing? That's not your BuzzFeed's the thing. No. And Netflix. Okay. Yep. Uh, let's see. Net Zero. Remember Net Zero? R, Reddit. Reddit's big. Reddit's usually first, by the way. What when do you mean? it comes to information, stories, that type of thing. It happens there first, then you'll see it on the Today Show, then you'll see oh. it go viral, that kind of thing. You... URL is the unglamorous ah. string of code upon which this entire web edifice is built. Mm-hmm. And uh, W? World Wide Web. Wikipedia. Ah, I should have got Gosh, that. Gosh, there's so many different things we could talk about when it comes to the impact the web has had. Wikipedia, for one. I did. Why? Yahoo. Yes. I got in there. <laughs> the Wikipedia. Do you trust Wikipedia? Yeah. I See, don't so do rely I. on it, though. Like, no. I'll go just, oh, you know what, read up on something quick, but I'm not going to use that to source stories that we're working oh, on. Oh, gosh, no. But I will go there only if I need a, a general random fact. You know, what? when again was Millard Fillmore president from when to when? Yeah. Uh, you know, yeah. who won the last five World Series or who, you know, who, who, mm-hmm. was, who won Super Bowl twelve? stuff like that. that that's where I go to, uh, to Wikipedia. You know what I'll do with Wikipedia sometimes? I'll go on there after a movie is out just to read the plot line, just to see if it's the same as what I saw, okay. and it helps like kind of dissect it a little bit for me. I will do that while I'm watching a movie. <laughs> Why? If it's a very That'll complicated... If there's a very... Co- no, I'll, I'll just kind of gradually read. If it's a very mm. complicated plot line, that, that's what I'll do. This is Jeff Wagner on WGMJ. Scott Warris, Eric Bilstad, Jeff off, back tomorrow. Baseball coming your way at 2.55, so about 20 minutes from now. And as I uh, teased a moment ago, if only for a day, and if, albeit during the Wagner time slot, uh, let's make a little time for... Great Scott! All right, this is an awesome story. I've had a lot of animal-themed stories today. This is whether they're dead and their carcass is lying on the side of the highway, or in the case of this story, in France, where animals are fighting back. This is, uh, as I say, from France. A young fox got more than it bargained for when it entered a chicken coop and ended up reportedly being pecked to death on a French farm. Sacre bleu! Students... Students found the dead fox one morning last week during a routine, uh, a routine check of the hen house 
at, a, at an agricultural school in uh, the town of Brittany. There in the corner, the school's head of farming said, there in the corner we found this dead fox. There was a herd instinct, and these chicks attacked with their beaks. How many chickens are we talking about here? 3,000 <laughs> chickens. <laughs> now, the school... Here, the the uh, the, uh, the head of the farming division of the school, whatever, told the newspaper, the fox did not appear sick, and was probably surrounded by three thousand chickens three, in that part of the coop. Three thousand. Told the newspaper the school has six thousand, so it could have been a lot worse. How can three thousand chickens get around a tiny fox? The hen house has light control doors that close after dark each day. The fox, no more than five to six months old, so it wasn't exactly fox. a smart Not fox. Not a sly. Uh, it is believed to have been trapped inside once entering at dusk. The hens live on a free-range organic farm and enter the coop where they've been housed since July at night to lay eggs. Uh, spokesman, or this uh, teacher, said he believes the animals have learned to defend themselves in that time. What? <laughs> He told the newspaper that devoured pigeons are often found in the house, too. Okay. What, Why are pigeons? These are some... There's something up with these wait, chickens. Wait, no, wait. So the chickens are... Okay, I was... Well... Okay. All right. Now I get it. When a different fox came into the hen house more than a year ago, the school's hens at the time didn't fare as well. So maybe it was just a stupid fox. Stupid like a fox. <laughs> and 3,000 chickens. This is the first I have ever heard on record of chickens fighting, killing. They pecked, in essence, right? They pecked the fox to death when the fox tried to attack them. Good for the chickens. I'm proud of them. Although 3,000 of anything could do some damage. 3,000 chickens? How does a fox survive that? Would you be creeped out? Would you be... 300 chickens is way too many for a tiny fox. If you just stood in a barn... And, and that barn floor was filled with 3,000 or 300 chickens. At what point do you start freaking out over the number of other animals that are around you? Have you ever time? been in a chicken coop before? No. They never. don't smell very good. Well, but, uh, no, I I, I, but they only good. have like maybe a handful of chickens, at least the one, the one <laughs> that I've been in before. You know what would freak me out would be turkeys. And there are... Stories. We talk about the internet before you go to YouTube. There, there are reporters. You here. This could, get close, by There are reporters yeah. who around Thanksgiving do the traditional story on a farm. Mm-hmm. So what do they do? I'm the television reporters. What do they do? They go and they stand in amongst turkeys, and suddenly there are tons of videos of reporters being attacked by turkeys because they want the shot. So they stand in the middle of yeah, the barn, yeah, yeah. surrounded. By nothing but turkeys. Turkeys go bad. Turkeys go mad. And uh, they'll attack. Anyway, a fox in France pecked to death by 3,000 chickens. The chickens fight back when this fox tried to do what foxes tend to do in the hen house. How about that? Just passing that along the next time you venture into a hen house. What? That was today's edition of Great Scott!